0: Part Four, Chapter Fifteen of The Manxman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Manxman by Sir Kane. Part Four, Chapter Fifteen. Outside Balor House, there was a crowd which covered the garden, the fence, the high road, and the top of the stone wall opposite. The band had ceased to play and the people were shouting, clapping hands, and cheering. At the door which was open, Philip stood bareheaded, and a shaft of the light in the house behind him lit up a hundred of the eager faces gathered in the darkness. He raised his hand for silence, but it was long before he was allowed to speak. Salutations, rugged, rough, almost rude, but hearty to the point of homeliness, and affectionate to the length of familiarity, flew at his head from every side, Good luck to you, boy. Bravo for Ramsay. The Christian's for your life. A chip off the old block. Dempster Christian the sixth. Hush, man. He's spaking. Go it, Phil. Give it Fitz, boy. Hush, hush. Fellow townsmen," said Philip. His voice swung like a quivering bell over a sea. You can never know how much your welcome has moved me. I cannot say whether in my heart of hearts I am more proud of it or more ashamed. To be ashamed of it altogether would dishonour you, and to be too proud of it would dishonour me. I am not worthy of your faith and good fellowship. Ah! He raised his hand to check a murmur of dissent. The crowd was now hushed from end to end. Let me utter the thought of all. In honouring me you are thinking of others also. No, yes. You are thinking of my people above all, of one who was laid under the willows yonder, a wrecked, a broken, a disappointed man, my father, God rest him. I will not conceal it from you, his memory has been my guide, his failures have been my lightship, his hopes my beacon, his love my star. For good or for evil, my anchor has been in the depths of his grave. God forbid that I should have lived too long under the grasp of a dead hand. It was my aim to regain what he had lost, and this day has witnessed its partial reclamation. God grant I may not have paid too dear for such success. There were cries of, No, sir, no! He smiled faintly and shook his head. Fellow countrymen, you believe I am worthy of the name I bear. There is one among you, an old comrade, a tried and trusted friend, whose faith would be a spur if it were not a reproach. His voice was breaking, but still it pealed over the sea of heads. "'Well, I will try to do my duty. From this hour onwards you shall see me try. Fellow manxmen, you will help me for the honour of the place I fill, for the sake of our little island. And, yes, and for my own sake also, I know you will, to be a good man and an upright judge.' But, he faltered, his voice could barely support itself, BUT IF IT SHOULD EVER APPEAR THAT YOUR CONFIDENCE HAS BEEN MISPLACED, IF IN THE TIME TO COME I SHOULD SEEM TO BE UNWORTHY OF THIS HONOUR, UNTRUE TO THE OATH I TOOK TODAY TO DO GOD'S JUSTICE BETWEEN MAN AND MAN, A WRONGDOER, NOT A WRITER OF THE WRONGED, A WHITED sepulchre WHERE YOU LOOKED FOR A TOWER OF REFUGE, REMEMBER, I PRAY OF YOU, MY COUNTRYMEN, REMEMBER, MUCH AS YOU MAY BE SUFFERING THEN, THERE WILL BE ONE WHO WILL BE SUFFERING MORE, THAT ONE WILL BE MYSELF. The general impression that night was that the Deemster's speech had not been a proper one. Breaking up with some damp efforts at the earliest enthusiasm, the people complained that they were like men who had come for a jig and were sent home in a wet blanket. There should have been a joke or two, a hearty word of congratulation, a little natural glorification of Ramsay, and a quiet slap at Douglas and Peel and Castletown, a few fireworks, a rip-rap of two and some general illumination. But sakes alive the solemn the young Dempster was, and the melancholy, and the mysterious. Shoot, said Pete, there's such a dale of comic in you boys. Wanderin' the world to me you're not kidnapped for pantaloonses. Go home for all and wipe your eyes and remember the words he's been speaking. I'm not going to forget them myself, anyway. Handing over the big drum to little John Ake, Pete turned to go into the house. Auntie Nan was in the hall, hopping like a canary about Philip, in a brown silk dress that rustled like withered ferns, hugging him, drawing him down to the level of her face, and kissing him on the forehead. The tears were raining over the autumn sunshine of her wrinkled cheeks, and her voice was cracking between a laugh and a cry. "'My boy, my dear boy, my boy's boy, my own boy's own boy!' Philip freed himself at length, and went upstairs without turning his head, and then Auntie Nan saw Pete standing in the doorway. "'Is it you, Pete?' she said with an effort. "'Won't you come in for a moment? No?' "'A minute only, then, just to wish you joy, Miss Christian, ma'am,' said Pete. "'And you too, Peter?' "'Ah,' she said with a bird-like turn of the head. "'You must be a proud man tonight, Pete.' "'Proud isn't the word for it, ma'am. I'm clain beside myself.' He took a fancy to you when you were only a little barefooted boy, Pete. So he did, ma'am. And now that he's deemster itself he owns you still. Oh leave him alone for that, ma'am. Did you hear what he said about you in his speech? It isn't everybody in his place would have done that before all, Pete. Deed no, ma'am. He's true to his friends, whatever they are. True as steel. The maid was carrying the dishes into the dining-room, and Auntie Nan said in a strained way, "'You won't stay to dinner, Pete, will you? Perhaps you want to get home to the mistress. Well home is best for all of us, isn't it? Martha I'll tell the deemster myself that dinner is on the table. Well good-night, Peter. I'm always so glad to see you.' She was whisking about to go upstairs, but Pete had taken one step into the dining-room, and was gazing round with looks of awe. "'Lord, alive, Miss Christian, ma'am! "'What feelings now, a barefooted boy, you say? "'You're right there, and cold and hungry too, "'sleeping in the gable house with the cow, "'and not getting much but the milk I was staling from her, "'and a leathering at the old man for that. "'Philip fetched me in here one evening. "'That was the start, ma'am. "'See that pepper-and-salt egg on the string there? "'It's a Tommy Noddy's. "'Philip got it nesting up Godnagavain.' Nearly cost him his life, though. You see, ma'am, Tommy Noddy has only one, and she fights like mad for it. We were up forty fathom and better, atop of a cave, and had two straight rocks below us in the sea, same as an elephant's hoofs, you know, walking out on the blue floor. and Philip was having his little hand on the ledge, where the egg was keeping, when swoop came the big white wings atop of his bare head. If I hadn't had a stick that day, ma'am, It would have been heaven help the pair of us. The next minute Tommy Noddy was going splash down the cliffs, all feathers and blood together, or Philip wouldn't have lived to be Dempster. Aw, frightened you, have I, ma'am, for all it's so long ago? The heart's a queer thing now, isn't it? Got no yesterday nor tomorrow neither. Well, good night, ma'am. Pete was making for the door, when he looked down and said, What's this at all? Down, Dempster, down. The dog had come trotting into the hall as Pete was going out. He was perking up his big ears and wagging his stump of a tail in front of him. My dog, ma'am? Yes, ma'am, Unlike like its master in some ways. Not much of itself at all, but it has the blood in it, though, and maybe it'll come out better in the next generation. Looking for me, are you, Dempster? Let's be taking the road, then. Perhaps you want it at home, Pete? Wouldn't trust. Good-night, ma'am. Auntie Nan hopped upstairs in her rustling dress, relieved and glad in the sweet selfishness of her love to get rid of Pete and have Philip to herself four Chapter fifteen